0: I still recall from the books I read All the great empires built in my head But every year I raise one more I forward it up and one dropped off But I'm still seeking I'm still seeking
1: Welcome to another Phoenix-like episode of Seeking Tumnus The podcast where we burn through the pages of young adult fiction At the sizzling pace of approximately one page per millennia And then get together to tell our dear friend Laurie what a great choice he's made
0: Our dear friend Laurie is probably going to be deceased at this pace <laughs> I reckon he's got one, maybe 1.5 books left in him, max
1: <laughs> But I'm the second oldest Sometimes we read contemporary YA, and to overstay the metaphor somewhat, sometimes we reach further back to pull something older out of our ash. My name is Laurie, and I'm joined by my fellow hosts, the resentfully adult Patrick Moon. Hello. The oh no, my teen fashion is back in fashion, Bree.
2: You can't wear that stuff again.
1: And the gracefully ageing Keith Rowe. And my teen fashion not back in fashion
0: yet.
2: <laughs> yes, it is.
0: Actually, we were looking at some of your teen fashion photos the other day Smashing. and I thought they were like remarkably Yeah, they were they were very I fashionable agree. overall. Well, let me go back to the garage and <laughs> you might see me in them next week. I can't believe you've you've still got your teen fashion <laughs> stowed away in your garage.
1: <laughs> some the of it bleach blonde locks were pretty impressive.
0: I wish I had those stowed in the garage. <laughs> That's how they know.
1: <laughs> this episode I've pulled out a childhood fave The Weird Stone of Brisingaman by Alan Garner oh, That's how you say it That's
0: not <laughs> how you say it
2: <laughs> Is it not? Garman. <sighs> I'm with Come Keith on. on this one, that's how it was going in my head
0: Laurie, didn't you link a video vis-a-vis pronunciations like 24 hours ago? I didn't, I didn't watch it, but I thought you would have <laughs> <laughs> I did Laurie didn't either Yeah,
1: I did and that's how he said it, I'm pretty sure, but my, olds have, my, bleh, my ears have gotten <laughs> quite old over the last millennia, so how would you say it,
0: Keith? Uh, Garmin.
1: Mm I don't think so. I'm going to e- edit into this episode a brief recording of some uh, radio play that we heard on the internet that was probably stolen, but disregard, and we'll see.
0: It is very old. If it's not Alan Garner, is it actually definitive? It's
2: not Alan Garner, it's Elaine
1: there. <laughs> <laughs> <Garnier. laughs> anyway, I'm sure, regardless of how it's uh, pronounced, I'm sure it's graced many of your shelves. But for my fellow hosts, I believe it was a new experience. Will it rock their world as it once rocked mine? Stay tuned. But first, a warning.
0: The Weird Stone of Brisen Garman by Alan Garner is a rather old tale up, watch yon, if ye're not at one with it ye we soon be. For ere ye ye're near in danger a been new to it, eh? But still, I must warn yon, ye should not waste a moment since the setting of the sun has passed, and that spells danger even before the true coming of night. If yon were to go on, who knows what may be revealed.
1: That was That was fantastic. excellent.
0: Oh, I've missed these things. Mr. Tom-esque. I thought we were about to like lapse into some kind of hip hop <laughs> styling. <sort of. laughs> I wish. <laughs> I'll try and shoehorn that in somewhere.
2: I want you to come and read the Secret Garden to the kids. I think uh, your accent would be much appreciated.
0: How, how much bizarre Cockney is there in the Secret Garden?
2: There's a lot of nouts, which I cannot do for this. <laughs> Well, it's not it's Cockney, more Yorkshire, though, is it? isn't it? It's Yorkshire. it's Yorkshire I struggle
1: as I might Every time I try and Yorkshire it up It just lapses into Scottish It does
0: Yeah, I didn't I actually was trying not to do an accent then Because I'd, I've tried a few different ways <laughs> And they, were all, they all went to Scottish or Irish It's just so natural for you That you lapse into it without even <laughs> trying now It's pra- practically your mother tongue
1: uh, Well, I, I'm thoroughly impressed, Keith I, I have missed such things Bree, I would love you to do page one in an accent.
0: <laughs> Player's choice, you could you could try Indian perhaps
2: <laughs> The Legend of Alderley At dawn one still October day in the long ago of the world, across the hill of Alderley, a farmer from Mobley was riding to Macclesfield Fair. The morning was dull but mild. Light mists bedimmed his way, the woods were hushed, the day promised fine. The farmer was in good spirits and he let his horse, a milk-white mare, set her own pace, for he wanted her to arrive fresh for the market. A rich man would walk back to Moberly that night. So his mind in the town while he was yet on the hill, the farmer drew near to the place known as Thieves's Hole, and there the horse stood still and would answer to neither spur nor rein. The spur and rein she understood and her master's stern command, but the eyes that held her were stronger than all of these. In the middle of the path, where surely there had been no one, was an old man tall, with long hair and beard. "'You go to sell this mare,' he said. "'I come here to buy. What is your price?' But the farmer wished to sell only at the market, where he would have a choice of many offers, so he rudely bade the stranger quit the path and let him through, for if he stayed longer, he would be late to the fair. "'Then go your way,' said the old man. "'None will buy, and I shall await you here at sunset.' The next moment he was gone and the farmer could not tell how or where. The day was warm and the tavern cool and all who saw the mare agreed that she was a splendid animal. The pride of Cheshire, a queen among horses, and everyone said that there was no finer beast in the town, but no one offered to buy. A sour-eyed farmer rode out of Macclesfield at the end of the day. At Thieves's hole the mare stopped, the stranger was there. Thinking any price was now better than none, the farmer agreed to sell. "'How much will you give?' he said. "'Enough, now come with me.' "'By seven firs and golden stone they went, "'to Stormy Point and Saddle Bowl, "'and they halted before a great rock embedded in the hillside. "'The old man lifted his staff and lightly touched the rock "'and it split with the noise of thunder. "'At this the farmer toppled from his plunging horse "'and on his knees begged the other to have mercy on him "'and let him go away unharmed. "'The horse should stay, he did not want her.' Only spare his life that was enough. The wizard, for such he was, commanded the farmer to rise. I promise you safe conduct. Do not be afraid, for living wonders you shall see here. Beyond the rock stood a pair of iron gates. These the wizard opened and took the farmer and his horse down a narrow tunnel deep into the hill. A light, subdued but beautiful, marked their way. The passage ended and they stepped into a cave, And there a wondrous sight met the farmer's eyes. A hundred and forty knights in silver armour and by the side of all but one, a milk-white mare. I'm sure I had you entranced with my... You did. Yes, thanks, Keith. I was looking for compliments. What did you reckon, though? That was an awesome reading. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've
1: ever heard you put so much enthusiasm into a reading before for this podcast. So I was
2: so afraid that my page one was actually going to come across as scornful.
1: <laughs> no, I, I'm beginning to think that you might have actually loved this book.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for the glowing yeah. review now because by, by all indications, that's what uh, we're going to get.
2: <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'll keep you on tenterhooks while I hear about what Keith thinks of page one.
0: I'll, how about I dive in and I, I preempt Keith? I, I like the fable esque kind of start to the story, but from the get go, it feels a little bit, I, I don't know, familiar? or something it's maybe it's it's all the the fantasy tropes that we've explored a billion times before but as soon as you started talking about men with starves tapping rocks (laughs) and whatnot I I felt like this was something I had seen before Uh, but it's very well written I, I and and with your reading I would happily have listened to quite a bit more of that
2: so straight to audiobook for you then
0: yeah, maybe straight to audiobook If the reader is as passionate as you are I don't want anything sort of second rate What about <laughs> you, Keith? Familiar as a shoe is to a cobbler, Pat <laughs> 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 I really enjoyed your reading their Brie At first, it took me a while to get into it The fable aspect of it, like Pat said, is good um, But really, it was all about your reading their Brie So you know that You got me right back into it Thank you
2: You're very welcome because I found it comical. <laughs> uh, beyond the rock, I mean, uh, to me, it actually sounds a little bit like one of Laurie's best um, D D intros, where he's trying to be quite light-hearted and um, and fun, um, as well as inject a little bit of fantasy into it. It was, um, but I think actually, Laurie, when you do your D and D intros, you're actually a lot more interesting and original than this one. <laughs> So oh,
0: gosh where was the positivity the positivity <laughs> like it lasted it like i said w- i was uh, 11 minutes in and it's <laughs> gone <laughs> it's quickly left actually i think it, given it, it's a fantasy book i think it sort of kept the language quite um non fantastical for the opening which was good like there wasn't too many weird and wonderful creatures or names of places introduced there so there were a billion names of places. No, no, in no, page two. No, no, not in, in page well, one. Well, actual real places, though, they were. Oh, in in page one we had Alderley and the Thieves uh, hang out where they do stuff. I, I can't remember thieves what it was home. called. Yeah. Uh, I think we had a few names. Yeah, yeah. they're, they're real names. places. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: Seriously, though, a rock in the countryside that splits open and you've got 140 Sylvan armoured knights and milk white bears, like, I can't dis- suspend my disbelief.
0: But that's great it's imagery. It's conjuring up in, in someone's head reading that. Hmm. There's nothing particularly unbelievable about 140 men and horses <laughs> <laughs> inside a rock. <laughs> I find it odd that of all the things we've talked about, this is the, the key point that you've singled out, is requiring <laughs> suspension of disbelief. 140 men and horses
1: To go along with them. Unbelievable.
0: (laughs) And you were believing for all of what, Brie, two pages?
2: (laughs) (laughs) She's like,
1: oh, I've been there and I've been there I've been there. This is (laughs) sounding pretty good. Horses! (laughs) Outrageous. (laughs) At least it's not Magic rocks I
2: can
0: buy, but as long as there's no horses (laughs) behind that magic (laughs) rock. (laughs) We didn't hear what you thought,
1: Laurie. I mean, I quite enjoyed the reading, obviously. You know, I've been reading recently. I just finished The Belgariad by uh, David Eddings. And in the first book or two of that series, maybe all of them, um, he sort of does this uh, introductory preface or chapter or and it's all um, like a historical almost sort of biblical, biblical style writing where he introduces the history and the law of the world before and and, and that law sort of relates to what's going on in the events of the book in the current times of the book. And I was kind of reminded of that. That biblical style, sort of, uh, yeah, fable like a parable esque opening to yeah, the, yeah. And I got a bit scared initially, you know, when I was reading page one, that because I didn't fully remember, I was like, is it exactly like this the whole way through? But no, it wasn't. So, I mean, I was enjoying it, but I was a little bit wary because I don't really, I didn't really enjoy it in the Eddings book as much as I enjoyed the, the real parts of the book. So, yeah, I was a bit nervous, but uh, I was still excited to see what was happening. Do you want me to tell you about what happens all the way through? Oh, yes. please do. spoil it for everybody, please.
0: I will spoil it. Um, did we do a spoiler warning? You did do a spoiler warning, didn't you, Keith? I did. So I, I can, with impunity, read out the entire plot of the story. Go for it. And
1: to be fair, this book has been out since 1960, so... You've had 60 years at this point. <laughs> yes. get Get to it.
0: <laughs> the Weird Stone of Brizengarman slash Brizengarman slash... Rising Gaiman Is at its heart a weird book About a weird stone But it feels eminently familiar There's a dark lord Nastrond maybe I'm open to being corrected on the name of the dark lord as well Who gets locked away in a mountain Or some crap And a band of adventurers are foretold To defeat the resurgent dark lord By throwing his ring in a mountain Or (laughs) something (laughs) I don't know This bit isn't necessarily made that clear what we do know is that a powerful magic contained in the weird stone of Garman is fundamental to the Dark Lord's defeat and the best guy for the job is the powerful wizard, Cadillan? <laughs> <Does> <laughs> Cadillan. <anyone help>?
2: Cadillan? <laughs> yeah, I went with that in my head.
1: Yeah,
0: same. Uh, mm, um, f- uh, oh, Cadellin! The double L makes me feel Cadillan-y, but, you know, um, or we could go C-Cadian? Cadillan. Uh, Fast forward some substantial period of time to a relatively contemporary setting And the arrival of our heroes, Colin and Susan Who arrive in Alderley in the custody of Galtha Mossack Because they were a pair of precocious twits and their mother didn't want them anymore (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I don't remember (laughs) why they went to Alderley Is anyone able to... I,
1: um... I, I assume that they were fleeing the war and they were... If they hadn't have been pulled into this war of fantastical epic journey, throwing rings in mountains, that they might have just opened up a cupboard and fell into a wintry world. Fair. <laughs> so they were Mr. Tomming
0: it. I don't know. Their parents went overseas or something, maybe? Yeah, I
2: thought they were there on a holiday or something.
0: In any event... Uh, Galtha, like all good caretakers Lets the children run amok and fall foul Of witches and the various denizens of Nastrond Because, of course, Susan has had the weird stone all along The kids are pursued by the forces of darkness Fumble around in some mines Meet some dwarves and generally cause a ruckus Until the Dark Lord is sent packing once again The end That's the story
2: You were a bit quicker than the book <laughs>
1: <laughs> the, the book was brief to it, be fair, it was super brief. I read it again yesterday. I didn't. <laughs> 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 no, I'm not sorry.
0: Can you check off all those things that um, that Pat just went through there, Laurie, Given your recent reading of it, there was a bit more to it than that, right? Uh,
1: yes, yes, yeah. there was. Do you want to go into it now? Or? No, 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 no.
0: Just try and right. catch up because parts of it I read quite some time ago as well. <laughs> yeah, right.
1: Well, I mean, but I think he fairly succinctly covered most of it. There's there's a lot of, it's, and I talk about this in my thoughts, there's a bit of a hero's journey that goes on. There's the sort of, in terms of this weird stone that they have, they, you know, they have it all along but don't realise because it's been a family heirloom, heirloom. Except it's patently obvious from the second page that they have it, but <laughs> never mind that. To an adult reading what should have been a young adult book but turns out to be... Pretty solidly, uh, primary school kind of fair, <laughs> but not to the, the
0: dimwit child who has it in the story. Yeah, <laughs> so harsh.
1: Anyway, I'm preempting my thoughts, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Uh, why, why did you actually choose the book, Laurie? Well, it's it's been on my bookshelf for many, many years. I'm pretty sure I had borrowed it from a library first. And Had it inflicted upon you by a library? Perhaps is oh, no. more way of describing. It. <laughs> no, I think I fossicked through all the books, fossicked through all the books until I found all the fantasy books and read those first, and then wondered what to do afterwards. After enjoying it there, I bought it, and I bought Elidor, and I bought The Moon of Gomroth, and then started moving on to other authors because I think I ran out of books by Alan Garner. So. Um, I I did recall as I was reading the book and I was thinking about that library um, and I imagined or I recalled exactly whereabouts it was in that library that it wasn't the high school (laughs) library, it was the primary school (laughs) library. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, every now and again one of us misses the mark slightly on the age bracket but um, yes, I remember enjoying it a lot and the, um, the other books by Alan Garner and it was at this time when I was really starting to expand into slightly, I mean, maybe not this one, but um, slightly more complicated fantasy books. I think from here I might have moved on to Ursula Le Guin and then onwards to Tolkien, etc. So, yeah, it was one of the foundation books, I would say, for my love of fantasy. So
0: I was keen to revisit On a side note, Laurie, where would you slot David Eddings into the age range? Should we be sort of reviewing David Eddings rather than Alan Garner tonight in an ideal world? Because I have such fond memories of reading David Eddings.
1: I would say that if you've read this book and perhaps, yeah, you know, if you read all three of the books that were around when I was reading them from Alan Garner, you could move directly to Eddings. I don't think it's actually that much more advanced. They're probably a lot longer big difference in size of the book but in terms of complexity of language they wouldn't be too much further along the path maybe.
0: And that actually bums me out a little bit because I, I started to fall away from Eddings a little bit in my later teenage years just thinking these books just aren't the same as they were and he was still active and writing at that time uh, and I sort of had hoped in my mind that uh, the early ones were these masterpieces that the quality just wasn't being reproduced anymore. But perhaps the sad reality was that I just became a cynic at some point in my
1: life, and they're just not for me anymore. They're very straightforward, I found, and the language is not complex. They don't have magnificent prose, I would say. Um, they're just good solid fantasy books with maybe nothing more remarkable than an interesting setting. Yep.
0: I was wondering, what, what is it about adult fantasy that, um, that prevents it being accessible for children or not children young adults I'd say so is it is it violence in some of them and and debauchery and that sort of thing or well for sure I mean if the language scales and I guess readers ahead of their own age can access older material and to me it seems that fantasy uh, is quite similar even the children's compared to the to the adult versions in the general structure of the story not in specifics of the content always but Yeah, what is it that rules out a fantasy book for young adults?
1: I think it's the presence of sticks. Even some adults are (laughs) caught caught (laughs) off off guard by the violent beatings of sticks. You three
2: have successfully, uh, what's the word, acclimatised me? No, that's not correct.
0: Indoctrinated you? Yeah,
2: you've made it okay.
0: What, to talk about fantasy? Well,
2: no, I feel that if I read The Ranger's Apprentice now with their beating each other with sticks, I would be far less shocked because the one that I'm reading at the moment, there's children's deaths. So, you know, slaughterings and such.
0: They totally deserved that beating.
2: <laughs> God, I thought you were going to say the babies deserve being slaughtered.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> there's probably something in the intensity of the themes. I don't know if it's the necessarily that there are themes in adult fantasy fiction that aren't at least touched upon in the the children's versions but perhaps they do veer a little bit darker and the the level of the prose as well is a big thing for me because it can just get tedious when you're reading something that is obviously written for a primary school audience when you're not really feeling I don't know. It isn't just the story. There is something about the way a story is written that is compelling. And if it's not directed at your level, then it, it just doesn't really click. Um, having said that, someone mentioned debauchery, and it was brought to my attention the other day that uh, the Throne of Glass series, I, they, I, I saw a line in that about. Someone um, pressing his velvet rod <laughs> into <laughs> the, the small of her back. Uh, <laughs> how, how old are the readers of this series? This, this is like some Fifty Shades kind of material that Sarah J Maas is throwing into the books.
1: I did ask Brie because, you know, it's one of the criteria for me enjoying, whether it's a television show or books, whether it did get a little bit saucier. <laughs> <laughs> and Brie nodded sort of very enthusiastically and licked her lips so I, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. you're terrible. it's not true.
2: <laughs>
1: you did tell me that they did get significantly more uh,
2: they got more adult. Passionate. But yeah I they think do. you mentioned that. Hmm.
1: They trashed their hotel
0: rooms in the, in the, the fury of their passion <laughs> like unbridled
1: destructive uh, passion. I feel we might have uh, wandered off the safe uh, path of the Elven Road, so why don't we ask Keith? (laughs) Keith, what did you think of the book?
0: So, for me, the integration of the fantasy world into our own was the highlight of this story. Uh, The author used his words somewhat sparingly compared to other fantasy books, with most of those words reserved for the descriptions of the world and the characters' movements within those worlds. It left a significant portion of the, of the tale to be filled in by the imagination of the reader Sadly for me, that included filling in the characters of Colin and Susan uh, Perhaps he left them intentionally into the scripts So that they could be embodied more agreeably by any child reader Perhaps he just didn't care about them They were just a vehicle for his voyage into myth and folklore Objects that we were supposed to care enough about To worry about their welfare And the fate of what was, to them, an odd-looking trinket Whatever the case, it probably doesn't matter too much for readers who aren't overly character obsessed. For me, however, it was an obstacle to my enjoyment. Even though it wasn't excessively wordy, there were still passages of a verbose description, in particular relative to the movement of the group up, down, and through the Fundendel <laughs> underground.
2: <laughs> <So> true. <laughs> in,
0: in my mind, they formed a series of arbitrary, obstac- arbitrary obstacles that were not useful to either the development of the story... Or my enjoyment of it (laughs) As much as the setting in the caves and tunnels Was like Almost the perfect location for such an adventure Parts of it became overly intricate Making it hard for me to picture What was being described And it took me out of the moment on more than one occasion Here's a little passage uh, That I think highlights this 20 feet more Colin And we shall be there Bring your left hand down to the inside of your right knee Your other hand will fit there too Steady now lower yourself as far as your arms will let you. There is room for your left foot. Right hand out at your shoulders level. Not so far. There. Six inches down with your right foot. For nottery stepped onto the shelf. Now your left hand to the side of your hip. Seriously? What the hell?
2: I've highlighted that same passage. You've taken straight out of my highlights, I swear. Uh, I think you guys uh.
0: have actually, you've read ahead to next week when we're doing the Twister
2: manual. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, Keith! Oh, it's out of context. You, you don't tell the you don't tell the poor listeners about like Fenodri going up and down this shaft three times, and he's well knackered trying to guide these children through pitch black dark while axes and stuff and arrows or whatever are raining from above, while another dwarf is left to uh, solely defend them against a whole whole horde of swarts. Oh.
0: yeah. Well, look, that was the worst of it but yeah. there was quite a few bits that weren't great. Uh, <laughs> the end of the book... You were going to say something, Pat?
1: No, I was just snorting. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, you sort of mentioned their, pat- their journey through the caves. There was one yep. bit where they... And probably it was overly described as well. There was one bit where they were actually pushing themselves sort of almost worm-like through a very, mm. very tight cave. And I actually got yep. a little bit sort of claustrophobic, like thinking about having like their bodies barely fit through this tunnel and if one sort of wrong move or wrong positioning and they'd be stuck there forever it's um it mm, was a little bit tense
0: colin being the tallest had his legs kind of stuck so he had to turn around yeah that that wasn't that wasn't the worst of it so mm. that was all right there was parts that were okay and like i said it, it was the perfect setting for an adventure like this the end of the book, it was a rather confusing battle for control of the Weirdstone. confusing in that I couldn't ever accurately gauge the scale of it, or where, or what, each of the evil forces were up to. Suffice to say that at the last, there was victory to be found, and it was found swiftly. And I actually didn't mind that the ending came quite abruptly as it did. Overall, despite my complaints, it was a reasonably enjoyable read, one that for me would have benefited greatly by developing the lead characters. And I also thought it was really similar to Undersea Overstone.
1: Hmm. Do I can't remember when that was written. We should look. That was
0: written, yeah, five years later, and that was oh, in really? a fictitious place as well. So I think this may be some inspiration for that potentially.
1: Yeah. Right.
2: Is that the Dark is Rising?
0: Yes. This was a lot more fantasy than that, being the first book in the Dark is Rising series, though.
2: So. I preferred the Dark is Rising series I think I liked the the mythology more you know for me it's about the Knights of the Round Table and Guinevere and all of those sorts of things I found that particular mythology wove wove in better to, to yeah. this sort of adventure.
0: I think because this had aspects of that but also all sorts of other mythology and you kind of didn't know what was coming next in terms of the creatures and mm. and the lore it wasn't really spelled out in advance it just
2: it happened. was really messy, which I found a little bit. Um, in yeah, it was off-putting, disjointed.
1: Have you had a look at the uh, the Wikipedia entry on the book because they uh, it does a pretty in-depth look at all of the different mythologies that were incorporated into this book, and there there were a lot. Um, yeah, it's an interesting read.
2: I don't feel that you should have to, as an eleven-year-old, go and read the Wikipedia <laughs> entry for the book that you're reading to make it accessible to you to understand
0: especially not in 1961 <laughs> exactly
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I didn't feel
1: i had to because because a lot of the names in the book were vaguely familiar um from other you know, i used to have this really great illustrated book yeah illustrated book about um ragnarok and you know fenry the wolf with a stick jammed in its mouth and whatnot um so there are a lot of names in here that Just seemed vaguely familiar And because it was set in the real world um, And there was a mix of fantasy in there It it all sort of just mushed together Well for me, but anyway Patrick? Uh, Yeah,
0: I probably Agree with Keith in most points And he probably said it far more eloquently Than I'm going to But I did enjoy That aspect of a real world Fantasy, I'm really into that As a genre, it's probably my my Favourite portrayal of a fantasy world, I guess, is something that is melded very closely to our own. And I think you see that in uh, The Dark is Rising, but also in the more contemporary kind of renditions like Harry Potter and the Book of Lost Things that we've read, although the Book of Lost Things uh, probably sort of verges more into a, a
1: fantastic realm. But Harry Potter and the Book of Lost Things was much scarier than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> uh But that's
0: probably about where my enjoyment of this book ended. And that's not to say there weren't portions that I found vaguely interesting or exciting. There was a bit of tension here and there, and there were some scenes that were well done. But you guys have already said it, in that it kind of just blundered from scene to scene to scene, and I never really knew what was going to happen next. It was all sort of... It felt like it had been written off the cuff and it was never revised in such a way as to insert any kind of foreshadowing or internal consistency to the world. It was all just this like hodgepodge of different ideas all sort of scratching at each other and trying to be expressed and each tumbling out one after the other until what you get is this shambolic ride from mishap to mishap to mishap with no real rhyme or reason for anything happening at all and I I think in the way that I expressed the synopsis was that yeah they they I think they traipse through a forest they go into some caves they get chased by some bad dudes and that's largely what it felt like was just following a, a real hodgepodge of a story along through a disconnected set of scenery like a like a video game where the designers like yeah I want to do I want an ice level and I want a forest level and I want a cave level and we'll <laughs> write the story later let's figure out the story later, uh, It just didn't work super well in that context. The whole scene in the caves that you guys are talking about, I felt like it lasted for f- freaking seventy five percent of the book. It just went on and on and on and it, it might it might have only been ten pages I don't know but it felt like the entire freaking story. It, complete with explicit instructions of where to place your left and right (laughs) foot. and On my velvet rod. (laughs) (laughs) Nary a velvet rod to be seen. And Garner must have hated himself because can you imagine sitting down to write that every day? Like, I'm going to imagine these children like climbing up a rock face and this is going to be what I'm writing for the next 16 hours. I think he was so in love with the location that... Everything in the book is all these tunnels. Uh, there's a there's an element in a reality that he's visited, and maybe this is a ledge he's climbed down and taken notes on where his hands mm. went. Because how else could you be so? I can totally <laughs> particular? see that. Particular. It's like it's like if a train fancier had written Harry Potter, and the first eighty percent of the book was on the <laughs> Hogwarts Express, <laughs> detailing the like the the, the <laughs> finally <pieces>. polished brass <laughs> <laughs> handles of the the carriage and whatnot, and we have like 20% at the end where, you know, there's a battle with the dark Lord and whatnot, but then he gets the ride home <laughs> back on the Hogwarts express again. It was, that's, it was a love letter to a place and a time. And he was a Garner, I think was born in Oldley as well. So, you know, it's, it's part of his history and a sort of biography about a place that he has obviously loved as a kid and inserted a bit of magic into, and I can appreciate that. But, I think the sticking point for me is that I, I'm t- I'm just too old. I don't have the magic inside me anymore, and so <laughs> I can't I can't really connect to it. I needed something with a little bit more oomph. And can I read something do- out
1: to you? I would love you to read something out to me. you so seldom offer. <laughs> There's a quote. This is um, something that the critics said. They said it was a tour de force of the imagination, a novel that showed e- almost every writer who came afterwards what it was possible to achieve in novel- novels ostensibly published for children. So that's some of the, the, the praise at the time. But um, Garner himself, and I'm sort of chopping out some of the things that I was going to say Garner himself hated his first book He, he, he came to despise it And his publisher, uh, here we go for, for, This is from Wikipedia For the book's republication in 1963 Garner made several alterations to the text Excising what Neil Philip, the publisher I believe Called extraneous clauses, needless adject- adjectives and flabby phrases in oh, gosh. I, in his opinion, this second text uh, is taut where the first one is slack, precise where the first is woolly. So, I, I guess when your editor or your publisher is making those kind of comments about the, the edit, and I'm not sure which one we read, to be honest mm, with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's tough to tell, isn't it? <laughs> so, it could have been worse. Um, but, but, yes, there's quite extensive sort of uh, notes in Wikipedia about how much Garner actually hated his own book, which I was. Surprised about, but I I don't I don't think he minded his own second book, but uh, that
0: makes me feel a little bit better about eviscerating it somewhat, and yeah. I, and maybe I spoke more harshly than I actually feel about it because in the end I, I don't actually think it's a terrible book or anything. I feel like maybe I'm just not in the the right audience, but on the off chance that eighty five year old Alan Garner decides to listen to our podcast, maybe he'll sort of give me a little cheer. <laughs> <laughs> What about the third book then, Laurie?
1: I'll come to that. I'll come to that. Save that one for me. Okay. What did you think about it, Bree?
2: Well, I suspect my feelings are fairly uh, summarised by the fact that it took me three weeks to stop calling it The Wizard of Brizingerman <laughs> and realise that we were actually talking about the weird stone. I think Laurie had to correct me a half a dozen times. And also as I was reading it... I would continually sigh or, and look over at him and go, are you serious? I have to read this. So the things that I do like about it are, and I think I'll p- pick up on Keith's point from earlier, is that I quite liked when they did look at some of the characters. There were these nice little snapshots of Susan where you've got Colin musing at some point about how she's – Um, Taking the lead and um, really having a go at an adventure, and he admires that about her. Which I mean, this is this was probably written sometime in the 50s, published in 1960. I quite like that it's got this little snippet about uh, girls going on adventures and having a go at this sort of stuff. So I, I quite liked that theme at the time, but it wasn't developed in any way. So it had it would have this almost throwaway line in there about how great it is that she's leading the adventure and then nothing.
0: I also think it's great that one block of wood thought it was good that the other block of wood wearing a wig was taking charge of the adventure. <laughs> it's the same block oh. of wood, I just turned it around.
1: <laughs> Look, that's not that's not entirely fair to the whole book, though. Like, I would will admit... A- and even, uh, I should look it up, uh, Garner has a bit of a thing to say about how useless these characters are as well And how much he hates them <laughs> Give
0: me a call, Garner, I think we would get
1: on <laughs> But but there were some vignettes in the book that I th- think did show a bit more depth of character For example, there's a scene where Gautha, who's the temporary father figure of the book That's yeah, looking after The his ne- neg- negligent father figure Well, you know, it's a different time <laughs> Kids could just wander around freely Meet witches Yeah, almost get killed by goblins But um, no, there's one particular scene Where he goes out to defend his chickens From what he thinks is a rogue dwarf or something And there's this horror in the night That scares his dog And he sort of gets a little bit scared as well And I thought it sort of really dug into his character A little bit there That he's not just sort of some idiot man Who's always brave There's a few scenes where where there's little views into characters that never, you know, get expanded in the way that an adult book might, but this it's not completely devoid of character. Fair fair point. Uh, we interrupted you there, Bree.
2: Well, I don't want to go on about the same sorts of points that you guys have already raised because, well, there's no point. <laughs> but there were little light-hearted things that I quite liked. You know, they talk about go, taking sandwiches and lemonade to go wizard hunting, and I just thought that was just a nice moment to sort of put you into that era and it and it li- and it's the same sorts of things that I like and that make me smile when you read Enid Blyton although I wouldn't read Enid Blyton again anytime soon however they go on <laughs> picnics and they drink ginger beer and such things and I think that sounds so delightful and um, fun and whether or not it's realistic or not is kind of beside the point it at least makes me smile however it then settles into that repetitive patterns so they go on adventures there's miraculous rescues they're rescued by a wizard they go on in another adventure through another cave through another tunnel through a marsh through a garden and they they just seem to be cheap tricks to explain the sudden miraculous lucky appearance of the dwarves to save them at some point so It just didn't make sense and it just went on and on and on. So for a short book, so for a short book that is theoretically short, I just didn't feel that I could ever get into it enough. And so at 68% I shut the book and, yes, that was six months ago. And, no, I have not gone back to finish it. So I don't blame you for that. Seriously, I've got (laughs) – I looked up some stats for you on my Kindle. I've got a 60% strike rate, so I've – Finished 90, 90 90-odd out of 150-odd, and one of the other notable ones that I still haven't finished is The Hobbit.
0: That's a travesty.
2: Yeah, I know, but I still, I, can't, I just can't do it. It's one of those ones that I keep picking up and putting back down again, and I just cannot ever get past, I don't know, the first paragraph. The language. First few, yeah, yeah, I don't know what it is. So I didn't finish it. I figure if I can read, what, 15 to 20 books a year, I've only got 600 to 800 left to go in my lifetime and I did not want this to be one of them.
0: (laughs) I don't want it polluting your brain.
2: (laughs) Sorry, Laurie.
0: The ending wasn't the strong point here Mm. anyway, so I don't think you've missed too much. As long as you learnt how to successfully navigate a cave, you've extracted (laughs) the most value out of the book possible. I
2: have to remember to take my bike light with me apparently. Seriously, do you remember that? They had a bike light to light the cave.
0: I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I remember. <laughs> there was an entire chapter in it, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Insert the battery, column. No, the
1: other way around, the plus sign. <laughs> what about you, Laurie? Well, before we get to me, let me just read uh, British fantasy author Neil Gaiman's comments. Uh, he claimed that Ghana's fiction is something special In that it was smart and challenging Based in the here and the now In which real English place- places emerged from the shadows of folklore And in which people found themselves walking, living And battling their way through the dreams and patterns of myth
2: Is he talking about this book or is he talking yeah. about later novels?
0: Well, uh, It sounds to me like he's talking about American gods <laughs> 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 Um. I think that's a fair sort of comment too. That it does do those things. But on the flip side, American Gods does all of those things infinitely better and is a masterful piece of fiction. So perhaps if that sounds appealing to you, you might want to just skip to the more contemporary stuff and, and read a bit of Gaiman. Yeah, I think I should. I started to watch a bit of that Gaiman, but you put me off it. Oh, If you haven't read the book, you have no business starting the TV show. You should re- The book is incredibly good, and you should read it.
1: I'll read two more things before I move on to my own review. One was, and this is all from Wikipedia, because as I said, it's pretty comprehensive. Upon publication, it was a critical success, but later Garner had begun to find fault, referring to it in a 1968 interview as a fairly bad book, and (laughs) and in 1970 as... One of the worst books published in the last 20 years, technically <laughs> inept.
2: It's not that bad. <laughs> I don't think wow. that's fair
1: either. Come on.
2: That's overly critical.
1: Writing in 1981, Neil <laughs> Philip, who I said was his publisher before, but Correction was actually just a literary critic, noted that it had become fashionable to condemn Gunner's early work, perhaps because of his own his own dismissive attitude to it. Philip argued that the weird stone of Brzingerman <laughs> Suffers from a, a lack of characterization Its most serious flaw Yet he also felt that the book had much t- much to commend it With a narrative that while unstructured Was gripping and enthralling, enthralling Holding the reader's attention And keeping them guessing what is going to happen next
0: You had to guess because it gave you no Absolutely no chance <laughs> of knowing it <laughs>
1: So what did I think of it? I I really liked it I thought the pacing was pretty neat Each chapter was its own little adventure um, And it was a bit of the classics hero's journey But to be fair I think that most of my favourite things ever All fall into that trope (laughs) You could unfairly critique some of the familiar elements as theft Because this book came just I think five years Maybe after the publication of Lord of the Rings um, or you might choose to see them as homages, but there's enough real-world lore in there to give it something new. No, it's not written with the prose or talent of Neil Gaiman, but in here I would put that quote where it's uh, a tour de force of the imagination. It was fairly well received, and I, I received it quite well as well. I enjoyed that uncovering of the secret war and uh, the perceived loss of the of the Weird Stone and that, that hope and recovery that comes as the heroes sort of start walking back up that hill to success. And the chase and the, and, and the closing of the net, you know, it all it all really came down to one last mad dash chase um, and they were surrounded on all sides and it, it, obviously they, <laughs> they got their timing right and Gandalf was at the top of the hill to save them. <laughs> the Moon of Gomroth, I'm actually pretty keen to read again now. He hated his first book but, uh, he, you know, he also hated the characters and after The Moon of Gonroth, he stopped writing those characters. He, he was originally intending to write a trilogy which we sort of spoke about a little bit before but he paused because he hated um, Colin and Susan so much. But I guess his, uh, <laughs> his, his pension ran out because <laughs> even though... Rzingerman was published in 1960 And Gomroth in 1963 Much to my surprise now Having done a bit of reading uh, And I think I did discover this at one stage But I'd completely forgotten uh, He pumped out a new one called Bone Land in 2012 And it's like That's a 49 year hiatus <laughs> um, <laughs> Which features an adult Colin And I, I'm not sure much more beyond that What happens but Colin would be about ready for the pension himself. At that <laughs> <yeah. point. laughs> I, I think I need to read it to appreciate, you know, how terrible it could be. You know, forty-nine years between books, and and f- for an author that hated the characters, what what's he going to do to Colin? Maybe <laughs>
0: brought him back <laughs> just to give him a miserable death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is it still like a, a children's into young adult? Book then? It's actually a gritty gritty, uh, detective (laughs) noir. (laughs) This is what I always wanted to write. (laughs) (laughs) It's the Maltese Falcon with Colin. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's be fair, right? All the fans of this book are going to be. Well and truly full grown adults
1: It has been republished quite a few times Like I have the original version somewhere um, And I have a, a newer, shinier version So I sort of wonder how many kids might accidentally pick it up <laughs> <laughs> in, I I'd read top. this
0: with my kids to be fair yeah, and, and I think Bree's comparison with The Faraway Tree was actually pretty apt Because The Faraway Tree was this sort of series of relatively disjointed adventures And that's one of the reasons that I really didn't like it that much. But I can see why it would be fun for kids.
2: Don't get me wrong. This is better than that.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah. But I guess uh, this has a similar feeling in some ways. It is a relatively disjointed sort of sense of adventure. It is... Like climbing up the tree and running through a different door And you're not quite sure what you're going to get on the other side But that can be exciting for kids And if Mm. I had a small kid I would probably read this at bedtime with them And I would not begrudge it too much Yeah, I'd agree with that I actually did read some of this aloud to myself Because I feel like in this sort of book It helps me commit a name The way I'm going to read that name If I have to say it out loud And I did enjoy reading it out loud
1: I don't have much more to say beyond that, so shall we move to uh, scoring? Let's
0: do it.
2: Am I allowed to score, given that I didn't finish it?
0: Well, you can. 68% of the book. Okay,
2: no problem. I can't believe you
0: didn't read, Did you say 68%? Yes. Why not read 1% further so we can all say nice on
2: the podcast? <laughs> 68% it was. It's like another
1: ten pages to go, Brie. Just ten pages. It's, it's really short. It's, I think it's two. Not a I'd already
2: forced myself through the tunnels, so you know. Let me. You
1: saw some light and you went for it. All right, let's get into it then. So for one star, sw- SWAT is this shit. <laughs> <laughs> two stars, SWAT SWAT, in the butt. <laughs> Three stars, SWAT. Are you talking about this Lord of the Rings fanfic? Is pretty good. For four stars, underappreciated, like SWAT as love <laughs> Baby don't hurt me no don't more. Me. Or for five stars, and I think to myself, SWAT a wonderful <laughs> boy <book." laughs> All right. Oh you, you, you had to reach
0: for these <laughs> <late ones>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Pack. Uh, it's a three from me, maybe a four if I was reading it to my kid. Boom, Keith. Yep, it's a uh, three also for me, which was swat swat something or other. Uh, swat is this pretty good Lord of the Rings fan fiction? That's, that's, the, that's one.
1: the one. <laughs> and Brie
2: It's not good enough to be quite Lord of the Rings fan fiction for me. It's a swat 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 two. In the butt. Yep. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Well, let it never be said that I uh, modif- my, modify my score to keep my average up. Four stars. Underappreciated. Well,
0: thank you for what? bringing this gem to
1: our attention, Laurie. <laughs> this weird stone. No problem. Keith, can you can you please tell us what's happening next episode? So, next episode, we have the thrilling. Two Can
0: Keep a Secret by Karen McManus.
1: <laughs> you do have a microphone. Oh, <laughs>
0: <gasps> that's wow. the, best. the fans have gone crazy. <laughs> the early reviews are very positive. <laughs> Saying, Aha, you do have a microphone. <laughs> I can make rude comments about people's mothers on Fortnite now. <laughs> <laughs> He's four, come on. Yeah, so. T- it's two can keep a secret by Karen McManus, and why did I choose that? In, in very brief, because of diversity of genre, and, and it's oh. also not part of a series. Hey,
1: and,
0: and it's well read and well rated.
1: So you're just picking winners like Patrick now.
0: <laughs> well, no, I wanted to. I wanted to get uh, a thriller in, a young adult thriller mystery.
1: I'm keen. I'm I'm excited for this. We haven't had one since uh, Dial In for Murder or whatever it was called.
0: Well, yeah. True. What
1: was, it, what, was that, what was it called? No, Mr. Uh, Murder? Master Master Murder. Murder. Master of Murder. Master of Murder.
0: This should be a step above that. It won't have the the nostalgic appeal, but it is well rated, so I'm looking forward we to it. We also did um, We Were Liars. Was that Lockhart? Something like that? That oh, was yes.
2: Uh, yes. a
1: bit m- sort of mystery esque. But anyway, this sounds great. Much like The Journey Through the Tunnels, The Only Way is Up. And. <laughs> And up.
0: (laughs) And down. And to the left a bit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you all for joining us, particularly to those who have been desperately watching their podcast feed for something that never seemed to arrive. However, we, we appreciate the recent flurry of activity on Twitter, so please keep it up. Until next time, remember that if you look to the west or east long enough on any given dawn... Some wizard in white will almost certainly appear, and keep reading. Is it
0: actually weird stone? Is a singular word? Is that a a thing in fantasy? Weird
1: stones. I don't. I haven't seen it.